Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. If you're joining us for the first time, you're in the middle of a study that we've been undertaking in the book of Acts. And we're looking at the history of the early church, and this is the fourth in a mini-series within this bigger series called the First International Missionary Journey. Talking about Paul and the first journey that he makes as a missionary, as an apostle. And today's topic, which I hope would be appropriate, is endurance and faithfulness in the face of adversity. Endurance and faithfulness in the face of adversity. We're looking at chapter 14, and I'm going to start reading in verse 1. I'm going to read right through the whole chapter, Acts 14, if you turn there with me. Acts 14, verse 1. Now, at Iconium, and I'm reading from the ESV, the English Standard Now, at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained there for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Jews, sorry, Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycaonia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. And Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowds saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lycaonian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowds. But when the, apostle, when, when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We, are, we also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good. 
by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia, came to Pamphylia, and when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there they set sail to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them, and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time with the disciples. Let us briefly consider what has taken place prior to this, because it's been a minute since we've been in the book of Acts, because we've had quite a number of different things happening over the past few months. So let's briefly remind ourselves of the outline and the theme for the book of Acts. With regard to the theme, you could say that the whole book of Acts is really about the spread of the gospel from one point to another point, from Jerusalem to Rome. And we saw that when we covered chapter one through chapter seven. We saw the birth of the church in Jerusalem And the scripture that you will continue to see echoed throughout this book, chapter 6, verse 7, highlights it. The word kept on spreading and numbers increased. Then chapter 8 through chapter 9, we saw the expansion of the church. And it moved from Jerusalem now into Samaria and then beyond. And chapter 9, verse 31, again Echoes the church had peace and was strengthened. There's a lot that happens between chapter 1 and chapter 9 that is really terrible, even with regard to what we're going through as a church right now, in similar fashion. These things happened, disasters took place, but we're hoping that regardless of that, the church will continue to have peace. And will continue to be strengthened, and the word hopefully will keep on spreading. Now, chapter 10 through chapter 12 was the opening of the gospel to the Gentiles, which was groundbreaking, because up until that time, it was just Jews who were being converted. And again, in chapter 12, verse 24, it says, The word of God continued to grow and multiply. Now, chapter 13 through 28, this whole section talks about the fact that the gospel continues again to spread but now throughout Asia Minor which is modern-day Turkey and Europe 
And in chapter 13 through 28, we see Paul's three missionary journeys um, historically. And again, chapter 16, verse 5 echoes, the churches continue to be strengthened and increase. And it all fulfilled what the Lord Jesus said to his disciples in chapter 1 of this book, which was, and you shall be witnesses to me, starting in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And we see this fulfilled categorically in the lives of the disciples. So that's the outline and the theme of the book of Acts. And if you turn back just to the previous chapter, to chapter 13, if you can, and look at just verse 49, it says, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. And it's, it's being chronicled by Luke, who is the writer of this book, as he said in chapter one of his gospel, and also chapter one of his book, because he wrote a book called Luke. Right, one of the Gospels. And his aim was that you may be certain about the things that Jesus began to do and teach, now being furthered by the apostles through the power of the Holy Spirit. Hence the title of this book, The Acts of the Apostles. Now the church started where Jesus died. His life, if you like, was the seed that planted the church. And where was it planted? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. So let's move this forward. That's the chapters we've covered. Jerusalem. Now, obviously, Jerusalem is in Israel, and it's just in this section of Israel, just near the Jordan. Jerusalem. That's where Jesus died. But then, after his death, the message began to spread from Jerusalem further out to Judea, which was the surrounding area. So be like, we live in, uh, we're here in Dulwich, which is in London, Greater London. It'd be like Jerusalem in Judea. It's a wider area. And then it went further to Samaria, which was like another county, if you like. Now let's just zoom out and have a look at a broader map. You can see Israel kind of small in the middle. After it left Jerusalem, went to Judea and Samaria, it then went on even further. And a church begins to spread north this time towards a place called Antioch, which is in Syria, which is a completely different country now. And then the church begins to spread west into Europe, starting in Cyprus. You can just see Cyprus there. If we zoom back out again, or zoom back in, I should say. And then we see the, the message move across the sea now. And it moves from Antioch, and it goes over to Cyprus, as I said. Then it moves up north into Asia Minor, ancient Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And then specifically, we see the church arrive now, or the message arrive at a place called Antioch. But this is not Antioch in Syria, but this is another Antioch. As you can see, this is what they call Pisidian Antioch in a place called Galatia. Now, this is where we left the story last time. And verse 1 of our text, Acts chapter 14, verse 1 says, Now at Iconium. So they travel from Antioch further inland to this particular place, which is about 80 miles 
southeast of Antioch. In New Testament times, it was one of the major cities of the Roman province of Galatia. Iconium's location was on a major road that led to Ephesus and Rome to the west, which made it a natural part of the stepping stone spread of the gospel. Literally, the gospel spread by word of mouth, by people generally, gen, generally traveling by foot, because there were no cars right in them days, or even bicycles. Day by day, mile by mile, no printing press, no radio, no internet, no TV. Yet it continues to spread. And we will see in weeks to come, Iconium will be visited by Paul and his associates during all three of his missionary travels. And incidentally, it was here that Paul actually met Timothy, who's going to become his son in the faith. And where Timothy was first exposed to Paul. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul says, you, however, right into young Timothy, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life. It's funny, as I say that, I think about the fact that we said that, you know, Jehaziel and Foxy are going to be Hezekiah's godparents along with their wives. And this is the kind of example they need to set, right? So Hezekiah can follow them as they follow Christ. Like Timothy's following Paul, he says, you follow my teaching, my conduct. Not just the things that I say, but the way I live my life. My aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love. What a wonderful, what a wonderful um, attribute to communicate from one man to another young man. Love. It's kind of rare in the 21st century. My steadfastness, like my consistency. Verse 11, my persecutions and, and sufferings. You don't expect that to come into this part of the conversation. Persecutions and sufferings. <laughs> well, what happened to I'm a king's kid, give me my crown and where's my throne? Like I'm a child of God. Like, what happened to that? Well, there's never a crown before a cross. Jesus doesn't say, pick up your crown. He <laughs> doesn't say, pick up your crown and sit down on your throne. He says, pick up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. You will get a crown, ultimately, but right now, it's about, it's, it's about the old, rugged cross. That's what's up. And he says, look, he says, you, you, you recognize and understood my persecutions, my sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, which is where we are, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. See, this was to be Timothy's, check it, this is Timothy's introduction to the Christian life. Endurance and faithfulness in the face of adversity. Now we're going to see firsthand what Paul meant by persecutions and sufferings in a moment. But what great doctrines for a young believer to be exposed to. Be like, okay, you're 18 years old. And you just accepted God's forgiveness through Christ. And very often in the 20th century church, in 20th century, 21st century Christianity, we have a party when somebody gets saved because 
You just got born again. I mean, it's your spiritual birthday. And we're like, go shorty, it's your birthday. We're going to party like it's... And we get, ex- we get excited when somebody gets saved, right? Nah, nah, nah that, was the, um, that was the clean version. What's my, that's the Canton Jones version. That ain't the other version. Now, what am I saying? Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be happy and celebrate. But the scripture doesn't say that should be the priority. It says that the angels in heaven rejoice and they have a party at such times. But check it. The angels in heaven know who is genuinely saved. See, and we see someone quote-unquote get saved and we start jumping up and down. Sometimes the angels join us, but sometimes the angels are just jamming. See, the proof is not in the pudding, it's in the eating. See, some of you got baptized years ago. Talks about baptism when we were having the dedication a little while ago. Some of you got baptized years ago. And you looked saved back then. But you may not necessarily look saved now. I know that was the case for me. I mentioned that I got baptized when I was a baby, my mum said. But when I hit 15, 16, 17, 18, 19 and 20... See, my fear is that sometimes we rejoice over someone because they prayed a prayer. But then they go on, like I did, to live like Lucifer. Some of you got baptized years ago, possibly when you were young, maybe eight, nine, ten years old. And I know because I baptized some of you. Now, I'm not pointing the finger at you, but generally speaking, see, and we rejoice back then. Wow, way, they're getting baptized, you got saved. But did you? See, back then, you may have just been gassed. And I'm saying it might have been a thing where people were hyping you up to make a decision. Back then, when you were a child, we know it, don't we? Because we just talked about it. When you were a child, you were obedient. Back then, you would do anything to please your parents. Back then, your heart was tender. But back then was was when? Back then. How about now? Remember John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist is preaching the gospel and people are coming. I mean, God is moving on the hearts of individuals, and they're coming. And Tutu, he sees the religious clique begin to come true in their religious garbs. And everyone's like, oh, here comes Rabbi such and such. Oh, there's the priest. Oh, here come the Pharisees. And you'll be like, and here's John. John's like, wow, it's wonderful. Hallelujah. All of you coming to get saved. No, he never said that. He saw them coming, and he was like, okay. He'd be like, yo, you lot. I'm not pointing at anyone particularly. You lot. (laughs) Who warned you 
Who warned you lot to flee from the wrath to come? I mean, how did you lot end up here? He'd be like, you know what? Your religious garments, your clothes, your externals, the fact that you can stand there and you can pray, very long and elaborate and flamboyant prayers. He says, none of that don't, don't impress me. He'd be like, you know what I want to see? Let's see some fruit. You know what I mean? He says, let's see, get, let's see some fruit in your life. Let's see some fruit that accompanies repentance. Genuine man. My life is, my life is a train wreck. Everybody else might be clapping at my life and saying, oh, you're wonderful. But I know my life is a wreck. It'd be like Elvis Presley. Remember, you know what they said about Elvis Presley? They said, Elvis Presley stopped being Elvis Presley when he realized that he wasn't Elvis Presley. Because he'd come out on stage. Uh-huh. If you know any... <laughs> so I, have to take it, I have to take it back old school for, for the youngers. You get me? Are my man's that good-looking brother? I mean, the guy could sing. And Elvis was amazing, album after album, TV show after, and my man's killing it, right? But in tutus, Elvis is beginning to struggle with the pressure of performing constantly and consistently, and my man, he starts to take drugs. My man starts to drink alcohol, and he's sitting with the, you know, the, the, wind, the mirror you look at with the lights around it. He's sitting and looking in the mirror thinking, boy, you know, this, I can't keep this up. And throw some water in his, and he'd get out there and he'd do his thing. But people never realized that his life was slipping like Whitney. Life slipping away. And Tutu's, he looks in the mirror with bags underneath his eyes, overweight, alcoholic, drug abuser now. And what does he say? He looks in the mirror and he says, them people think that I'm somebody that I'm not. And at that point, Elvis Presley stopped being Elvis Presley because that man does not exist. And John the Baptist says, you know what? I don't want to hear no talking. I want to see some fruit. I want to see some fruit. And you see, John the Baptist realized that there was something that needed to happen in an individual's life where they come to that point of reality. Stop fronting. Elvis, you're fronting. At first it was great, but now, and if you keep it up, people don't even want to see you. They don't want to hear you. Whitney come out and she sings a song, can't remember her lyrics. You know what I mean? And John is saying, don't front. He says, bring forth fruit of repentance. Why? Because the axe is laid at the root. And that basically, you know, like a lumberjack, he takes the axe. And he doesn't swing it yet, he just lays it at the root. So you know what's coming next. And John the Baptist is saying, you see, in the Old Testament, trees were a picture of people. Psalm 1. 
Blessed is the man that walks not after the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in it does he meditate day and night. That man shall be like what? Shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, and it will bring forth his fruit in its season, and so on. See? And John is saying, you lot, check it. You're like, you're like, you're like trees. And God is laying the axe to the root. And if you front on God, he's going to chop you down. And you know what you do with wood once you... You throw it in the fire. It's, it's a parable. I think it's a third of the parables in the New Testament. Because John kind of opens up the New Testament. The axe is laid to the root. And you see, that's what I'm saying to you. I'm saying, look. Where are you at in your life? You know what I mean? It doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense pretending. Let's just be honest. And if we got baptized back then, whatever. How about now? And you see, and the thing is, if, getting back to my point, it would be safer for us to say to new converts rather than, you know, and, and popping party poppers, it would be safer for us to follow the example of the apostles in terms of what they did in response to new believers. They commanded new believers to become disciples. Mark 5 last week, if you were here, talked about that from Matthew chapter 28. Become a disciple. Man, how come you ain't getting excited because I got saved? <laughs> Don't watch that. Become a disciple. It's going to be tough. You're on a treacherous journey, fraught with danger, and littered with landmine temptations. You have a formidable enemy. He's violent, and he's invisible. But God will see you through. See, to be forewarned is to be forearmed. Become a disciple. Paul says to Timothy, he says, you followed my teaching, my conduct. My aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium and at Lystra. But the Lord rescued me. See, it's love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength and with all your mind. And love not your own life, even to the death, it says in Revelation. Now, verse 1, at this place called Iconium... They, that is Paul and Barnabas, entered together into the Jewish synagogue, which has and will continue to be their practice. And they went to the Jews first. Because if they did it the other way around and they went to the Gentiles first, then by the time the Jews heard the message, like secondhand, they wouldn't listen. So Paul and Barnabas go to them first. And it says they spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Praise God. But <laughs> the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. See, certain people were bad mind. And you know, there ain't nothing new under the sun, right? So we know that today, certain people can be bad mind. And what... And they proceeded to infect and to contaminate and poison the minds of those who had believed. 
Now you would have thought that this would be a good reason for Paul and Barnabas to leave, to split, and to go somewhere more fruitful. But no, actually quite the opposite. Verse 3, so they remained there. And for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Again, we see a repeated pattern of miracles in conjunction with the message. You know, today, there are some that hype up this thing about miracles. Come and you'll be healed. Throw away your walking stick and get up out your wheelchair and... You know, it wouldn't be so bad if it was genuinely happening. But so much of it is fake. And it's, and it's, it's, it's taking advantage of the simple-minded. Taking advantage of those who've got a genuine love for God and a faith in God. But you see, God works genuine miracles, but not at our beck and call. You know, come to this meeting, it's a Holy Ghost, you know... Faith and power, miracles, mountain moving. You know what I mean? Come to this meeting. And, it, and, it, and, and it's basically saying this is going to happen. We're expecting that this is... And you go and it doesn't happen. Or you go and people say it happens and people walk out saying it happened when it never really happened. But you see, when God performs a miracle, it's undeniable. And he does so in conjunction with a message. That's very often why we see miracles in the scriptures. God worked in order to confirm his word. Verse 4, but the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. And the word for divided in Greek in the original language is schizo. It's where we get our word schizophrenic. It's where we get the word schism. It's the same spelling, but we pronounce it differently. And schism is a split, right? The people were divided Verse 5, when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat now the apostles and even stone them. You'd be like, probably part of the reason why they were going to stone them is because they would have accused the apostles of blasphemy. So verse 6, they, that is Paul and Barnabas, learned of it because they possibly were speaking in a Lycaonian language that Paul and Barnabas possibly never understood. But now they understand it. And they're like, you know what? It's time we got out of here. And they fled to Lystra and their base, cities of Lycaonia and to the surrounding country. Sometimes as believers we need to stand and fight. But then there's sometimes we have to realize, you know what? This is bigger than me. Let me just leave it to the Lord and duck out. And there's no verse in scripture that you can find that can tell you when to do that. You have to seek the Lord for yourself on that. You know what I mean? So they quickly leave and travel now. They travel southwest and southeast, not far from Iconium, and they go down to these cities. They go to Lystra, and they go to Derbe. Verse 7, and there they continue to preach the gospel. See, this is their mission. They're undaunted. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. Verse 9, he listened to Paul speaking and Paul looking intently at him. Now this is significant. Looking is an important verb for Luke in this book because he's the writer. We saw in Acts chapter 3 where Peter looked 
at the beggar. Remember at the gate, beautiful. And it's, it says he directed his gaze at him, toward him. Now, why is this significant? Well, because nobody normally looks at people like this. This man doesn't get that kind of look every day. Check it. The man's a beggar. He's unclean and he couldn't go into the temple. He had rags for clothing. His hair was matted. He smelled. The man was a social inconvenience. What could he do? He, he couldn't do anything. See, and this describes our spiritual state before God graciously saves us. It says in Revelation, it says, you think that you're rich and increased with goods externally. But he says, it's a shame you can't see that spiritually you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked before God. And that's the state this man's in. And it's a, it's a picture of our state before we come to Christ. And Paul, like Peter, looked at him as an image bearer of God. This man was a human created in God's image. And he loved him. He loved him before the man even embraces Christ. And herein lies the gospel. See, God looks at us, sinners. God looks at us, rebels. God looks at us, enemies, with love. Luke 18 says that Jesus, remember, looked at the rich young ruler and loved him. Even though he knew, even though he, knew he was going to turn around and reject him, Jesus still loved him. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 says, we love him, why? Because he loved us first. And look, seeing, after looking intently, right, seeing that he had faith, can you see the gospel here? The man is responding now in faith. Seeing that he had faith to be made well, verse 10, Paul says in a loud voice, stand up on your feet. Now this is brave. I mean, that's what I'm saying. We believe in this church that God still works miracles, but we're not going to be quick to say some, to somebody, you know what? Throw away your diabetic pills. You got cancer? Don't bother take no more treatment. You don't need no chemotherapy. And I know that because my wife's dad is dying right now as I speak. He's in hospital. And his body is riddled with cancer. You think I don't want to turn around and say to him, be healed. He's probably got about three months to live. I'd love to be able to say that. But I can't say that unless I know God is saying that. And Paul knows that God is saying it. So he tells the man to stand up and lo and behold, he sprang up and began walking. It was a miracle. Now, there was a popular myth, a local legend at this time that was being circulated. And the myth was that one day, Zeus and Hermes, who were mythical gods, had visited this area. And they were disguised as two humans. So two gods, mythical gods, walking around as humans. And they sought hospitality and were rejected by a thousand people. At last, an elderly couple called Philemon and Borchis invited them in, showing them hospitality. And... Zeus and Hermes turn around, the myth says, and greatly reward them. 
the inhospitable 1,000 were destroyed. And it's likely that these Phrygians were aware of this legend. And they didn't want to make the same mistake again. So upon seeing this amazing miracle take place, they could barely restrain themselves. Verse 11, and when the crowds saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices saying in Lycaonian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Verse 12, Barnabas they called Zeus, Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker, and the priest of Zeus, whose temple was round the corner at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowds. This is to Paul and to Barnabas. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments, right? They tore their garments, this is to show their displeasure, and rushed out into the crowd crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We're also men of like nature with you and we bring you the gospel. We bring you good news. Like they said in verse 3, the message of grace. That is forgiveness for those who don't deserve it because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. We bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God. See, that contrasts what he suggests their gods, which is dead. Turn from these vain things trying to worship men and turn to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Here we see Paul approach the preaching of the gospel in a bit of a different way. There's a gentleman. His name is John Stott. John Stott said, when speaking to Jews who are familiar with the scriptures, Paul normally starts with the Old Testament, its history, its prophecies, the law. But when speaking to pagans or non-Jews, Paul focused not on a scripture that they did not know, talking about oh, chapter this says that and verse this says that. He didn't do that. But what he focused on was the natural world around them, which they did know and could see. He begs them to turn from the vanity of idolatrous de devotion in order to worship the true and living God. You know, we got a friend. We were at Creation Fest, a big festival, right? Um, for those that you don't know, we're involved in music, and I say we're, uh, I should say we're involved in music. People are trying to bring us back into the music team. But um, we met, uh, I say I met, there's a brother called, called Vinda who was with us along with other guys, Sammy G and Christian, who's here today. And you know what I mean? It's like, Corvinda spat this, I don't know, it must have been about 24 bars. And I want to, look, here's a picture of Corvinda. <laughs> my man, yeah? All right, listen, with regard to what we're talking about, listen to my man's bars. We reloaded it about three times. You could hardly get through it. He says, I'm here to rap about the true God. Unlike the five percenters, if you're black, they'll even call you God. Or the Hindus who pray to a blue God. They ain't got a clue who God is or who he ain't. That's why they pray to idols and they paint abominable pictures, half animal, half human mixtures. They've ignored the Bible scriptures. God says, have no other gods. And yet they're still quick to pay $2.99 for a God and expect him to fix you. I hope this rhyme hits you straight between the eyes. The fear of God will make you wise. Why pray to a lady with three arms on each side? The road to hell is real wide. 
Those three million gods have each lied. They've each tried to be equal to the God who can make the sea dry. Those gods are only knee high. The God of Israel, he be the most high. Check this. Ain't nobody better than Jesus. He changes lives. The only thing Muhammad changed was his wives. Why you follow Buddha like? Check it. Why you follow Buddha like Buddha's wise? The only question he can answer is who ate all the pies? <laughs> and here the thing, yeah? Here the thing. Before you get offended, look, as you can see in the picture, for those who are listening by MP3 on, on the internet, Kovinda is an Indian brother. And check it. Lord, you're so good. Kovinda is here today. How many of you would like to hear him spit the rest of that? Come here, bro. Hey, fellas, can you turn on this radio mic for me? Shh. All right. What up, fam? He was hoping I'd finish it. I can't finish it. Huh. Uh. The Lord, you go, go. <laughs> Wait. All right. So, quote as Pastor Robert was saying, I'm here to rap about the true God. And like the five percenters who, if you're black, they would even call you God. Or them Hindus, they pray to a blue God. They ain't got a clue who God is or who he ain't. That's why they pray to idols and they paint. Abominable pictures. Half animal, half human mixtures. They ignore the Bible scriptures. God says, have no other gods, but they're still printer. Pay two ninety nine for a God and expect him to fix ya. I hope this line hits ya. Straight between the eyes. The fear of God will make you wise. Why would you pray to a lady with three arms on your side? The road to hell is real wide. Those three million gods have each lied. They've each tried to be equal to the God who can make the sea dry. Those gods are only Nehi. The God of Israel, he be the most high. Ain't nobody better than Jesus. He changed his lives. The only thing Muhammad changed was his wives. And why you follow Buddha like Buddha's wives? The only question he can answer is who have all the pies? As for your goddess with four arms on each side? What's up with her? Is she a box? This is why? I don't mean to offend or even hurt in pride. But Jesus is the truth, every other God's alive. I don't need a crucifix because Jesus didn't rise. Satan uses false gods like in disguise. That's why Shiva, he wears a serpent like a tie. If you follow him, man, for certain, you will fly. Your idols have feet that stand still and can't walk. You make them a mouth and they still can't talk. You give them a nose and they can't even smile. How do you expect these false gods to save you from hell? So if you're sitting in this place and you haven't been saved, Dedicate yourself to the Lord like Wow, we're blessed. We got the remix. Jeez. Right there. Wow. Bruv, the Lord had you here for more reasons than one. Thank the Lord for that. Thank you, bruv. Instant in season. As I said, you know, hopefully you're not offended. But if you are, you know, Kovinda, bruv, was you, was you a Hindu? He was a Sikh. So he's qualified, you know what I mean? He's got another lyric. But, oh, anyway. <laughs> he's qualified to rap about these things, you know what I mean? Verse 16. In past generations, Paul says as he continues, God allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. That is, God historically up to this point had focused his attention or fixed his gaze, if you like, specifically on Israel. 
Other nations, yes, sporadically, partially. But now, things were changing. Now, God was tactically reaching now to every nation through the gospel. And he still is. And even though God didn't reach out, as it were, to all the nations, all the nations were aware. Why? Verse 17. Yet he, that is God, did not leave himself without witness. See? Even though they never heard from God specifically, they never had a prophet come to them like Jonah went to Nineveh. Right? They knew God, is Paul's point. Why? Even though, but what, what about the man over here that doesn't hear? People say. What about them people who never ever hear the gospel? What happens to them? Well, what Paul is saying is... God has still given them a witness, even though he's not spoken to them directly and specifically. And you may be here today, and you're hearing it pretty directly, right? Pretty straight. You may not have heard it this straight before, but even before you came, you still knew. See? Because verse 17 says, God did not leave himself without witness. How did he witness? How did he testify to these individuals who had never heard? It says, for he did good. By giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. God has given you family. God has given you friends. God has given you a job, finances, food. God has, we're blessed. And that's God's, that's God's grace at work in our lives. Can we deny that? Because you know, we did not form ourselves. And for all intents and purposes, no matter how good my job, your job may be, you do not sustain yourself. My father-in-law, two years ago, was fighting fit at 78 years old, doing really well. He missed one of his checkups. And that was the, that was the fatal checkup, because he'd actually contracted cancer at that point. And then after he went six months later, it was, it's not that it was too late. They began to treat it, but it was too late to eradicate and I'm saying, can we ever say, I'm in control of my own life? Come on now. The air that you breathe, the fact that your heart is beating in your chest, you know nothing about how that works. We ought to, in reality, in all fairness, with all, it's only logical. In, it's logical. In Romans it says it's, re, it's only reasonable that we consider these things and bow the knee to the God even if you don't know specifically who he is, to the God who created you. Look at the planet. We ain't got time. Romans 1, Romans 1 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them. How? Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. 
but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise, they became fools, Richard Dawkins, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling man and birds and animals and reptiles. And you might sit there and think, but you know what? There are those cultures that worship idols. We don't do that here in the West. Man, scratch your car. Now, if it's a beat-up old car, it's nothing. But what if it's a... Man's ready to kill man for, just for cutting him. You don't even touch the man's bumper, but you cut him up. Ready to jump out his car, jaw for his tire tool. You're telling me that that's not an idol? You're ready to fight and die? Fam, that's an idol. Someone said they went to India and they said all these idols, you know, these, I mean, quote unquote, statues and so on, littering the place, like my man said in his bars a little while ago. And he said he looked and thought, oh, look at all these, look at all these idols, all these false gods. And he turned to the person who was with him and he said, how can you cope with all these false gods? And the lady turned around and said, you know what? I've been to America. You're asking me how we cope with all of these false gods. What about your false gods? You, every single house has an idol where you all sit round in a certain shape in the room, all the chairs pointing towards one of the, num it's one of the top ten idols in the West, television. And we all pay subservience to it. Wait a minute, no, I, don't, I can't talk now, phone ring, I can't answer my phone. Coronation Street is on. <laughs> These things are... An idol is anything you give yourself to. <laughs> so Paul approaches, check it, Paul approaches those who are not familiar with God's written revelation on the basis of God's physical, visible revelation, showing and proving that God has not left himself without witness. That is much we can learn from this. Today, we don't have the opportunity to go into all of it. <clears throat> now, sadly, some in the story, they don't turn, they don't respond, they suppress the truth in unrighteousness, like Paul said in Romans 1. They don't comprehend, but they continue in their idolatry, just like maybe some will today. Come in here, you're like, hmm, boy, I never really thought about it like that, you know, but yeah, whatever. And go back to idolatry. And I'm not just talking to those who are not Christians, I'm talking to us as well who are Christians, because we can have idols. May God help us. Verse 18, even with these words, as Paul saying, don't do this, don't worship us, worship God. Even with these words, they scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifice to them. Now look what happens, verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. Now that is the cities that Paul and Barnabas had just visited. So these mans were proper upset and offended at the disciples. And they're after them, innit? And having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul. Dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Now, wait a minute. Aren't these the same people that a split second ago were just worshipping Paul and Barnabas? And now, they're stoning them. 
This goes to show that miracles don't necessarily cause people to believe. People say it all the time, don't they? Just, look man, Robert, bond the long talk. Just show me a miracle, then I'll believe. Simple, isn't it? No, you won't. No, you won't believe. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 4, check it. An evil and an adulterous generation seeks for a sign. Whenever you say, just show me, there's a problem. And it communicates something about the heart of that individual. Look, just tell God to come down, in it. Tell him to come down and just show us and just, and just settle the argument. Then we will all believe. Well, God actually already did that. He did. And when he came, he died to pay the ransom price for our sin. And he actually came back from the dead to add to it. What more do you want him to do? See, they see a miracle and they still don't believe. Rather, they stone now the messengers. Verse 20. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up. That is Paul. Now, we're not sure if Paul was just badly injured and they prayed for him and he was healed. Or if he was dead and God raised him back to life. We're not sure. The text doesn't say. Yet whatever it was, it doesn't deter Paul. Because look what he does next. Verse 20. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. He went back into the city on the next day. And he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. Verse 21, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch. Listen, the city he got stoned in, he went back to. And then the very cities that his persecutors came from, he went back to. Talk about endurance and faithfulness in the face of adversity. And I just really want to commend Again, we mentioned Sarah, Sandeep's wife. We mentioned Sister Angela and the family. Brother Michael's family and Zach's family who are here today who are facing adversity because individuals who are very close to them have been taken away. May the Lord help you to endure and be faithful in the face of your adversity. And this happened all for a purpose. Just like Job and just like Joseph. 17 years of heartache and pain. But God had a purpose in it. Look at verse 22. Strengthening the souls of the disciples. That is as they went back to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch. Encouraging them to continue in the faith. Imagine. Really, they should be complaining because of the way that, quote-unquote, the, the Lord has allowed them to be treated. They shouldn't be encouraging others. They shouldn't be strengthening other individuals to have faith in God who has allowed this to happen to them. See? But it's all about endurance and faithfulness in the face of adversity. See, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, 
we must enter the kingdom of God. We heard earlier that Jesus said, unless you become a child, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. In John chapter 3, unless you be born again, a man cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus says, if you like, through the apostle Paul, you know what? Another aspect of getting into the kingdom of God is being able to endure difficult times. And he doesn't just say tribulations. He says, many tribulations. I think it's First Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says, And those who live godly in Christ Jesus must suffer persecutions. And check it. These individuals that they're strengthening, that they're encouraging, these are individuals that have just been converted. Because there was no church here, remember? This is the first missionary journey. There ain't no, there ain't no church, there ain't no Christians. Paul and Barnabas have actually shared and communicated the gospel now for the first time. So these individuals that they're going back to check on who got saved a minute ago when they were at Iconium, when they were at Lystrum, when they were at Derbay, they've gone away and they've got, let's go back and check on them. But you can't go back there, you might get stoned. They're like, you know what, this is why we're here. And they went back to strengthen and encourage young believers because they just got saved. New Christians, baby believers, you see, and they're encouraging them to do what? To be disciples. Verse 23, as we roll to the end. And when they're appointed elders for them in every church, check it. These young believers now, they're having to make elders in the church. You'd be like, oh, oh. someone may say to you, has God called you to be a pastor? Has God called you to be a leader? Has God called you in the church to take up a position of responsibility? No, man. Why not? Well, I've only been a Christian for 10 years. I will have, well, try, you've been a Christian for two weeks. And now you're, 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 the most, you're the most mature here. You're going to be one of the elders. You're going to be one of the leaders is what is happening here. You know, may God help us. We are joking. God had to drag me kicking and screaming into the ministry. Why? Because I didn't want the responsibility. And that's what we're like, aren't we? 21st century men. We're not men, we're boys. Because we don't want responsibility. I'm speaking for myself. I'd rather some. Because if somebody else takes the responsibility, I can point the finger at them. It's your fault. How comes this ain't done, fam? What's going on? But I don't want no one to point the finger at me. She'd be like, I'm pregnant. What's that? What's that got to do with me? What do you mean? It's your child. You better just get rid of that. Tell me I'm lying. Tell me the same. What is being said right now as we sit here, as we speak. Every day, multiple times over. Men don't want to take responsibility. And I'm not saying it's easy. It ain't easy. I've got two kids. I've got a 14-year-old. I've got a 17-year-old. And it's the greatest challenge I've ever had to deal with in my life. But what can I do? I woke up and I checked. God made me a man. <laughs> or should I say... Should I say, God made me male? I'm trying to become a man. By the grace of God and by the spirit of Jesus. And I'm sure the same is for so many of us here. I said I was going to roll to the end, didn't I? When they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Wow. Verse 24, then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. 
And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. See, what they're doing is now they're retracing, go back to the map, they're, they're retracing their steps. So you see they go Syria, Cyprus, Pamphylia, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Derbe. Now they begin to go back from Derbe to Lystra, Iconium, Antioch, through Pamphylia, down to Cyprus, and they, they begin to trace, retrace their steps, strengthening and encouraging the disciples as they're going back home to Antioch. Verse 26, and oh, from, from there, that is from Pamphylia, they sail to Antioch, so they bypass Cyprus, they didn't bother going back to Cyprus, where they, and they go back to Antioch, which is where they originally came from, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. Verse 27, and when they arrived and gathered the church together, this is their home church, they come back now to talk about what the Lord had done. They declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they, re and they remained no little time there with the disciples. And we're going to see, not chapter 15, but after chapter 15, how they go and set out on their second missionary journey. Amen? Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are exactly that. You are a heavenly, highly exalted Father. Talk about responsibility. You've taken upon yourself the responsibility of <laughs> us, the church, some bedraggled family, you know. Your church, Father, is full of disobedient, rebellious sons and daughters. I myself in that category, Lord, and yet you still love us. You're our Father, and you're never, ever going to deny us. You're never going to abandon us. Thank you for that today. And sometimes, Father, as kids, we don't know, yet we complain. I hate my mum for telling me that I can't go to the cinema. I hate my dad for telling me that I can't do this. And we're just like that. You tell us to do things and we don't want to do it. Sometimes you put us through circumstances that hurt. But as immature, foolish children, we don't recognize that you're our father. And sometimes we will go through circumstances that are difficult, yet... You're with us. You promise never to leave us or forsake us. For some this, this afternoon, you say, I'm with you, even through the valley of the shadow of death. I'm with you, and you need to fear no evil, for I'm with you. And so, Father, I pray that you'd mature us. Help us not just to be children, but to be men and women of God who understand that difficulty is a part of the Christian life. It's like running a race. We're going to fall, we're going to trip, we're going to get hurt, we're going to get hot, we're going to get tired and thirsty. It's, a race is difficult. We're in the army. We're soldiers. Help us, I pray, to appreciate that so that we can be individuals who endure and are faithful in the face of adversity. And Father, I pray for those who are not in your family that don't know you yet. I pray, Father, that you would have used this message either today to help them to understand or today will contribute to their understanding. They may not repent today and say they want to be saved. But if they do, we're going to encourage them to become disciples and warn them about the difficult times to come. Father, we commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen.
no diamond ring. I got a lot to learn. 